Chapter Eighteen of Love Insurance. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Love Insurance by Earl Dare Biggers. Chapter Eighteen: A Rotten Bad Fit. Minot rose early on Monday morning and went for a walk along the beach. He had awakened to black despair but the sun and the matutinal breeze elevated his spirits considerably. Where was Alan Harrowby? Gone, with his wedding little more than twenty-four hours away. If he should not return, Golden thought. By his own act he would forfeit his claim on Jeffson, and Minot would be free to—to what? Before him in the morning glow the great gray fort rose to crush his hopes there on those slanting ramparts she had smiled at his declaration smiled and labelled him foolish well foolish he must have seemed but there was still hope if only alan harrowby did not return mr trimmer his head down breathing hard marched along the beach like a man with a destination seeing minot he stopped suddenly good morning he said holding out his hand with a smile no reason why we shouldn't be friends, eh? None whatever. You're out early. So am I, thinking up ideas for the automobile campaign. Minot laughed. You leap from one proposition to another with wonderful aplomb, he said. The agile mountain goat hopping from peak to peak, Trimmer replied. That's me. Oh, I'm the goat, all right. Sad old Jenkins put it all over me, didn't he? I'm afraid he did. Where is he? ask of the railway folder. He lit out in the night. Say, he did have a convincing way with him, you know it. He surely did. Well, the best of us make mistakes, admitted Mr. Trimmer. The trouble with me is I'm too enthusiastic. Once I get an idea, I see Rosie for miles ahead. As I look back, I realize that I actually helped Jenkins prove to me that he was Lord Harrowby. I was so anxious for him to do it. The chance seemed so gorgeous. And if I'd put it over, but there, the automobile business looks mighty good to me now. Watch the papers for details, and when you get back to Broadway, keep a lookout for the hand of Trimmer riding in fire on the sky. I will, promised Minot, laughing. He turned back to the hotel shortly after. His meeting with Trimmer had cheered him mightily. With a hopeful eye worthy of Trimmer himself, he looked toward the future. Twenty-four hours would decide it, if only Alan failed to return. The first man Minot saw when he entered the lobby of the De La Paz was Alan Harrowby, his eyes tired with travel, handing over a suitcase to an eager black boy. What was the use? Listlessly, Minot relinquished his last hope. He followed Harrowby and touched his arm. "'Good morning,' he said drearily. "'You gave us all quite a turn last night. "'We thought you'd taken the advice you got in the morning "'and cleared out for good.' "'Well, hardly,' Harrowby replied. "'Come up to the room, old man. "'I'll explain there.' "'Before we go up,' replied Minot, "'I want you to get Miss Merrick on the phone "'and tell her you've returned. "'Yes, right away. "'You see, last night I rather misunderstood.' I thought you weren't Alan Harrowby after all, and I'm afraid I gave Miss Merrick a wrong impression. By gad, I should have told her I was going, Harrowby replied, 
but I was so rattled, you know. He went into a booth. His brief talk ended, he and Minot entered the elevator. Once in his suite, Harrowby dropped wearily into a chair. Confound your stupid trains! I've been traveling for ages. Now, Minot, I'll tell you what carried me off. Yesterday afternoon I got a message from my brother George, saying he was on his way here. Yes? Seems he's alive and in business in Chicago. The news excited me a bit, old boy. I pictured George rushing in here, and the word spreading that I was not to be the Earl of Raybrook after all. I'm frightfully fond of Miss Merrick, and I want that wedding to take place tomorrow. Then, too, there's Jeffson. Understand me. Cynthia is not marrying me for my title. I'd stake my life on that. But there's the father and Aunt Mary, and, considering the number of times the old gentleman has forbidden the wedding already— you saw it was up to you for once. Exactly. So for my own sake and Jepson's, I boarded a train for Jacksonville with the idea of meeting George's train there and coming on here with him. I was going to ask George not to make himself known for a couple of days. Then I proposed to tell Cynthia, and Cynthia only, of his existence. If she objected, all very well, but I'm sure she wouldn't and I'm sure, too, that George would have done what I asked. He always was a bully chap. But I missed him. These confounded trains always late. Except when you want them to be. I dare say George is here by this time? He is, Minot replied. Came a few hours after you left. And by the way, I arranged a meeting for him with Trimmer and his proposition. The proposition fled into the night. It seems he was the son of an old servant of your father's, Jenkins by name. Surely, surely that was Jenkins. I thought I'd seen the chap somewhere, couldn't quite recall. Well, at any rate, he's out of the way. Now the thing to do is to see old George at once. He went to the telephone and got his brother's room. George! A surprising note of affection crept into his lordship's voice. George, old boy, this is Alan. I'm waiting for you in my rooms. Dear old chap, said his lordship, turning away from the telephone, twenty-three years since he has seen one of his own flesh and blood. Twenty-three years of wandering in this godforsaken country. I beg your pardon, Minot. I wonder what he'll say to me. I wonder what George will say after all those years. Nervously, Alan Harrowby walked the floor. In a moment the door opened, and the tall, blonde Chicago man stood in the doorway. His blue eyes glowed. Without a word he came into the room and gripped the hand of his brother, then stood gazing as if he could never get enough. And then George Harrowby spoke. "'Is that a ready-made suit you have on, Alan?' he asked huskily. "'Why, why, yes, George.' "'I thought so. It's a rotten bad fit, Alan, a rotten bad fit.' Thus did George Harrowby greet the first of his kin he had seen in a quarter of a century. Thus did he give the lie to fiction and to Trimmer, writer of Fancy Seeing You After All These Years speeches. He dropped his younger brother's hand and strode to the window. He looked out. The courtyard of the De La Paz was strangely misty even in the morning sunlight. Then he turned, smiling. How's the old boy? he asked. He's well, George speaks of you now and then think he'd like to see you why not run over and look him up 
i will george harrowby turned again to the window ought to have buried the hatchet long ago been so busy but i'll change all that i'll run over and see him first chance i get and i'll write him to-day good great to see you again george heard you'd shuffled off not much alive and well in chicago great to see you suppose you know about the wedding yes fine girl too had a waiter point her out to me at breakfast rather rude but i was in a hurry to see her er pretty far gone and all that alan pretty far gone that's the eye i was afraid it might be a financial proposition until i saw the girl alan shifted nervously ah uh, er of course you're lord harrowby he said george harrowby threw back his head and laughed his hearty pleasant laugh sit down kid he said and the scion of nobility thus informally addressed sat i thought you'd come at me with the title said george harrowby also dropping into a chair don't go mr minot no secrets here alan you and your wife must come out and see us got a wife myself fine girl she's from marion indiana and i've got two of the liveliest little americans you ever saw live in a little chicago suburb homey house shady street neighbors all from down country way gibson's drawings on the walls george aid's books on the tables phonograph in the corner with all of george m cohan's songs whole family wakes in the morning ready for a mccutcheon cartoon my boys talk about nothing but cubs and white Sox all summer they're going to a western university in a few years we raised em on james whitcomb riley's poems well alan well george say what do you imagine would happen if i went back to a home like that with the news that i was lord harrowby in line to become the earl of raybrook there'd be a riot wife would be startled out of her wits children would hate me be an outcast in my own family neighbors would turn up their noses when they went by our house fellows at the club would guy me lord harrowby eh take off your hats to his ludship boys business would fall off smilingly george harrowby took a cigar and lighted it no alan he finished a lord wouldn't make a hell of a hit anywhere in america but in chicago in the automobile business say i'd be as lonesome and deserted as the reading room of an elks club i don't quite understand alan began no said george turning to meet minot's smile but this gentleman does it all means alan that there's nothing doing you are lord harrowby the next earl of raybrook take the title and god bless you but george alan objected legally you can't don't worry alan said the man from chicago there's nothing we can't do in america and do legally how's this i've always been intending to take out naturalization papers i'll do it the minute i get back to chicago and then the title is yours in the meantime when you introduce me to your friends here we'll just pretend i've taken them out already alan harrowby got up and laid his hand affectionately on his brother's shoulder you're a brick old boy he said you always were i'm glad you're to be here for the wedding how did you happen to come that's right you don't know do you i came in response to a telegram from lloyd's of new york 
from uh, lloyd's asked alan blankly yes alan that yacht you came down here on didn't belong to martin wall it belonged to me he made away with it from north river because he happened to need it wall's a crook my boy the lilith your ship my word it is i called it the lady evelyn alan lloyd's found out that it had been stolen and sent me a wire so here i am lloyd's found out through me minot explained to the dazed alan oh i'm beginning to see said alan slowly by the way george we've another score to settle with wall he explained briefly how wall had acquired chain lightning's collar and returned a duplicate of paste in its place the elder harrowby listened with serious face it's no doubt the collar he was trailing you for alan he said and that's how he came to need the yacht but when finally he got his eager fingers on those diamonds poor old wall must have had the shock of his life how's that it wasn't wall who had the duplicate made it was father years ago when i was still at home he wanted money to bet as usual had the duplicate made risked and lost but alan objected he gave it to me to give to miss merrick surely he wouldn't have done that how old is he now eighty-two alan the old boy must be a little childish by now he forgot i'm sure he forgot that's the only view to take of it a silence fell in a moment the elder brother said alan i want you to assure me again that you're marrying because you love the girl and for no other reason straight george alan answered and looked his brother in the eye good kid there's nothing in the other kind of marriage all unhappiness all wrong i was sure you must be on the level but you see after mr thacker the insurance chap in new york knew who i was and that i wouldn't take the title he told me about that fool policy you took out no did he all about it sort of knocked me silly for a minute but i remembered the harrowby gambling streak and if you love the girl and really want to marry her i can't see any harm in the idea however i hope you lose out on the policy everything okay now nothing in the way not a thing lord harrowby replied minot here has been a bully help worked like mad to put the wedding through i owe everything to him insuring a woman's mind reflected george harrowby not a bad idea alan almost worthy of an american still i could have insured you myself after a fashion promised you a good job as manager of our new london branch in case the marriage fell through however your method is more original alan harrowby was slowly pacing the room suddenly he turned and despite the fact that all obstacles were removed he seemed a very much worried young man george mr minot he began i've a confession to make it's about that policy he stopped the old family trouble george we're gamblers to the bone all of us last friday night at the manhattan club i turned over that policy to martin wall to hold as security for a five thousand dollar loan why the devil did you do that minot cried well and alan harrowby was in his old state of helplessness again i wanted to save the day 
Gonzale was hounding us for money. I thought I saw a chance to win. But Wall, Wall, of all people! I know. I oughtn't to have done it. New Wall wasn't altogether straight. But nobody else was about. I got excited, borrowed, lost the whole of it, too. What, what are we going to do? He looked appealingly at Minot but for once it was not on Minot's shoulders that the responsibility for action fell. George Harrowby cheerfully took charge. "'I was just on the point of going out to the yacht with an officer,' he said. "'Suppose we three run out alone and talk business with Martin Wall.' Fifteen minutes later the two Harrowbys and Minot boarded the yacht which Martin Wall had christened the Lilith. George Harrowby looked about him with interest. He's taken very good care of it, I'll say that for him, he remarked. Martin Wall came suavely forward. Mr. Wall, said Minot pleasantly, allow me to present Mr. George Harrowby, the owner of the boat on which we now stand. I beg your pardon, said Wall, without the quiver of an eyelash. So careless of me. Don't stand, gentlemen. Have chairs, all of you and he stared George Harrowby calmly in the eye. "'You're flippant this morning,' said the elder Harrowby. "'We'll be glad to sit, thank you. And may I repeat what Mr. Minot has told you. I own this yacht.' "'Indeed?' Mr. Wall's face beamed. "'You bought it from Wilson, I presume?' "'Just who is Wilson?' "'Why, he's the man I rented it from in New York.' "'So that's your tale, is it?' Alan Harrowby put in. "'You wound me,' protested Mr. Wall. "'That is my tale, as you call it. I rented this boat in New York from a man named Albert Wilson. I have the lease to show you, also my receipt for one month's rent.' "'I'll bet you have,' commented Minot. "'Bet anything you like. You come from a betting institution, I believe.' "'No, Mr. Wall, I did not buy the yacht from Wilson.' said George Harrowby. I've owned it for several years. How do I know that? asked Martin Wall. Glance over that, said the elder Harrowby, taking a paper from his pocket. A precaution you failed to take with Albert Wilson. Dear, dear! Mr. Wall looked over the paper and handed it back. Can it be that Wilson was a fraud? I suggest the police, Mr. Harrowby. I shall be very glad to testify." I suggest the police, too, said Minot hotly, for Mr. Martin Wall. If you thought you had a right on this boat, Wall, why did you throw me overboard into the North River when I mentioned the name of Lloyd's? Mr. Wall regarded him with pained surprise. I threw you overboard because I didn't want you on my boat, he said. I thought you understood that fully. Nonsense, Minot cried. You stole this boat by bribing the caretaker, and when I mentioned Lloyd's, famous the world over as a marine insurance firm, you thought I was after you, and threw me over the rail. I see it all very clearly now. You're a wise young man. Mr. Wall, George Harrowby broke in, it may interest you to know that we don't believe a word of the Wilson story, but it may also interest you to know that I am willing to let the whole matter drop on one condition. What's that? My brother Alan here borrowed five thousand dollars from you the other night, 
and gave you as security a bit of paper quite worthless to any one save himself. Accept my check for five thousand, and hand him back the paper. Mr. Wall smiled. He reached into his inner coat pocket. With the greatest pleasure, he said. Here is the, er, uh, the document. He laughed. Then, noting the checkbook on the elder Harrowby's knee, he added, There was a little matter of interest. Not at all. George Harrowby looked up. The interest is forfeited to pay wear and tear on this yacht. For a moment, Wall showed fight, but he did not much care for the light he saw in the elder Harrowby's eyes. He recognized a vast difference in brothers. Oh, very well, he said. The check was written, and the exchange made. Since you are convinced I am the owner of this yacht, said George Harrowby, rising, I take it you will leave it at once? As soon as I can remove my belongings, Wall said, a most unfortunate affair all round. A fortunate one for you, commented Mr. Minot. Wall glared. My boy, he said angrily, did anyone ever tell you you were a bad luck jinx? Never, smiled Minot. You look like one to me, growled Martin Wall. George Harrowby arranged to keep the crew Wall had engaged, in order to get the Lady Evelyn back to New York. It was thought best for the owner to stay aboard until Wall had gathered his property and departed, so Alan Harrowby and Minot alone returned to San Marco. As they crossed the plaza, Alan said, "'By gad, everything looks lovely now. Jenkins out of the way, good old George sidestepping the title, the policy safe in my pocket.' not a thing in the way. It's almost too good to be true, replied Minot, with a very mirthless smile. It must be a great relief to you, old boy. You have worked hard. Must feel perfectly jolly over all this? Me? said Minot. Oh, I can hardly contain myself for joy. I feel like twining orange blossoms in my hair. He walked on, kicking the gravel savagely at each step. Not a thing in the way now, not a single, solitary, hopeful little thing. End of chapter 18